um, we, we, tell our, we, we ask ourselves how to really build the movement using digital tools. What do you need? And when it comes to movements, um, Lucas brought this example. I think the, the one thing that always comes to mind is, is Barack Obama. Um, and even 10 years later, it's still true that everyone kind of yeah, wants an Obama campaign. Everyone wants this, this tool set up. Everyone wants this emotion. Everyone wants this, um, yeah, the, this, the, the, this rallying behind this common cause to, uh, to, to get support. And, and that's, that's what everyone's still, still looking at. Um, although it's not easy, but right now it's easier than ever before because when you look at the, at the technical industry landscape, right, from higher ground labs, um, you can quote Steve Jobs. Um, he said, there's an app for that. And that's true for campaigning. Um, that's, there you see all the, all the apps you can use to, to mobilize people and to create the movement. But the problem is still, you need to connect them. You need to work with them. You need to know what to do with them. And the other problem is, if you look at what which are the tools made in Europe, um, which are really GDPR safe, you see all the all the ups and downs from from the from the high court um, and and by trends to to think about okay what what's really safe to use especially in a political context um, where you where you really need to be safe um, there's not that many options left right so I think it's still that everyone wants to mobilize but it's just hard to take off and that's the situation we are in right now because for us it's it's very easy to to say that. Yeah, you can't operate movements on a sales software. Sales software have different um, different focus on on things. Uh, creating a movement is, is much more than just selling stuff. Um, the other thing is, of course, it takes a lot of experience to know what to do. Um, to because uh, like a, a fully equipped kitchen um, doesn't let you create um, first class meals, right? You need to be a cook as well. And, and that's that's the second part. And of course, looking at Obama's movement, everyone's everyone wants his movement, but no one has his budget. And uh, to use all these tools or and and getting consultancy, uh, not even on Obama scale, um, it's really hard to set up, and you need uh, a lot of money. So, what I think is, when it comes to tools, it's it's not about which tools you use. Um, it's what you do with them. And I think that's, that's when we come to the, what you said, uh, Sebastian, the, the old, old power versus new power is if you want to do your practices that, that you've done like for years or centuries um, uh, or decades in between, um, to use all these this settings or these approaches just on the digital media. And I think that's where where, where most, most organizations do wrong. Just trying to, to use their place they used to, like how can I make a perfect print poster or how can I read people from door to door um, to, to use these principles and just put it on the digital landscape. And I think that's where, where most of these the things are wrong. And what I want to, to talk with you about is to, to talk about our five rules for mobilization in a digital age. So what we, we've seen is, and, and that's, that's one where we maybe overlap with Lucas a little, is of course it's important to treat your community as humans, not as data. I think the digital tools um, 
that brought the focus much more on the data part and saying, okay, that's just data. But every data point is a person that does something behind that. And I think that's where, where you still need to focus on coming from a strategy part. Um, and for me, one, one, one conclusion of that is it's demographics versus behavior based. So when it comes to data and to, to, uh, to, to humans, it's, it's about the behavior. What, what are they doing versus where are they from and how old are they? Uh, for me, the best example for me is still a 30-year-old man and a 70-year-old woman can still have the same interests um, when they just became father or grandmother. They're both interested in, in children's future, in education and stuff like that. But from the demographic side, they're completely different. And, and I think that's that what brings it out quite, quite nice to talk about the behavior base. So when it comes to data, it's about getting information, um, what, how are they behaving, what, what are they interested in, and, and not where are they from. And to get behavior-based data, I think that's very important to quote, it's just ask for it. Um, it's, it's been used like all this, all this data collection or, or, or stuff. I don't think that's, that's needed because when you ask for data the right way, um, people give it to you. Um, if you ask it in a context that, that provides value for them as well, you get this data. And that way you can build your database and you can build your, yeah, your, your system. And coming to your system is the second principle for me and actually the most important part nowadays. It's about owning your data. It's, it's creating your own database. Also in the past, what happens if you don't? Um, Actually, my favorite example. Um, from from one day to another, Donald Trump lost the, the channel to 88 million followers, um, and that's that's the current uh, situation we are in. We we noticing Facebook limiting um, all the uh, political targeting um, coming in in January, much more like on causes, on on health, on, on sexuality, and. Of course, you can argue it's good, but for for smaller movements, it's it's hard to do because they rely on that, right? They um, having an LGBTQ uh, movement is it's important to reach people that are like-minded, and I think that's that's a situation we are in where we need to to focus on to get get hold on your data. I think first-party data is the is the new word like word of mouth um, to, to get a hand on, on your data and have direct contact uh, to your community. And a principle we use on that is called the AIM principle. It's attract, involve, mobilize. It's about using mechanics, using tools, using social media and all that stuff to attract people, to identify potential supporters and to address them. And on the next side, it's about getting them involved. Because if you only attract them, like shouting out or sending out, without getting a hook on them, getting them involved, it's like uh, going fishing uh, without the worm, or or just just putting, throwing in the worms into the lake. Um, and I think that's that's not what you should do when when you use Facebook or social media uh, to attract people.
And as soon as you get them involved, it's about having just a, a small uh, contact point, actually small, or just one contact point, just the email address, for example, um, just to get contact to them again, just to have a way to reach them again. It's not about involving and asking like the whole um, get a member form, like where's your zip code, what's your blood group, what's um, your shoe size. It's it's just having having one way to reach them, and and as soon as you have that, you can use tools to mobilize them, to deepen your relationship with them, to get to know them more, and to yeah, like like I said, ask for ask for their opinions, ask for their data. So the stages in specific is when you're talking about attract. It's I think that's that's where social media is. Is the biggest player. That's where social media is really right to attract new like-minded people, new people who are who are who are good for your movement. Um, but also, it's it's about web websites, it's about landing pages, it's it's about offline events as well. It's about canvassing. So it's it's basically all the measures you can do to to reach people. But the thing is, as soon as you attract, you should always have a way to get them involved. Like when you use social media only to, yeah, to post information. Um, I think it's it's throwing out money if you're advertising that as well. Um, but you should also get them anywhere where they can give you your data, use a lead form or use landing page or stuff like that. The same is for offline events. Um, for a client, we he did. Uh, Austria tour uh, with with a lot of offline events, and what we did was we provided a, a tool to have a digital backing for this event. So someone could sign up on this event in the digital scape and say, "Okay, I'm part of that." And and that way, I think about seventy or seventy five percent of the participants also signed up for for these events, and we got data contact points to to reach them again. And if you don't do that, they are on the event, and then they're gone again. Um, and I think that's that's what's important to have these attracting measures, but also get them involved. And when I'm talking about involvement, I said that before, it's 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 still the email address, it's still the the direct contact point that brings you straight into the, the inbox, and uh, and keeping it simple, keeping it stupid, kiss right um, to ask only for the, the minimum of data you can really use. And that's one, that, that's a big advantage of the GDPR because actually they want us to do that way, right? To, to only use data you want to use. And, uh, and we saw there's, there, there have been a lot of, 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 of big steps toward this direction since the GDPR that not everyone's asking for all the data, um, but, but it's still, still the case in, in many campaigns. And as soon as you have this contact point, it's about mobilization. Um, we've seen this image before. Um, it's about it's about getting in contact, having a dialogue with your community, with these people, to evolve them and to get to know them. And one principle that also Lucas had in his in his slides, um, but I, I brought an example of that, is is like using this letter of engagement to yeah to get. Uh, to get to know them better and to evolve them as supporters. For example, also Lucas had this uh, the, the Red Cross. They they asked the 
the toughest question you can ask for, right? Give us your blood. Um, and if you if you just say, okay, hey, um, on the street, and they did it on the street, um, can you give us your blood? Um, I think that's that's a giant step. That's that's really hard to do, and, and everyone's oh, oh no. Um, so the way we did and with the campaigning bro was um, we we created the steps in between. We asked for, hey, can we count on you in an emergency? And I, th I think who of you wouldn't say yes, right? Uh, and the next question was, okay, are you even eligible as a donor? And when they answered yes, the next step was, okay, can you donate in the next two weeks? Um, that's still better than just ask, okay, donate, blood now. Uh, and when they said yes, it was directly to, okay, make an appointment. And as soon as someone had an appointment, it, it's, it's very, they very surely um, donated their blood then. So that's, that's a way where you can can do with 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 small um, with, yeah with, with small actions you can evolve your supporters into community leaders or into blood donors or whatever you need um, and that's the same for um, when coming back to new power versus old power I think new power lives a lot from community leaders this this red step up there um, but still you need old power to get people there or to 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 yeah to to um scholar them or to evolve them to these community leaders and that's on the other side the problem for organizations coming from their old power um to get people there because they don't have these people yet but they can um filter out they can evolve people to become these community leaders i think that's that's basically the most um important way to, to mobilize or build your movement. And how can you ask these steps? For, for us, it's still emails. Um, Lucas also had it uh, in, in his presentation, newsletters. When I'm talking about emails, and that's why I've done right, it's not newsletters. It's not creating an offer with 10 different, or I like the screen from Lucas, with 20 different options on it. It's about sending out one message. It's about sending the right message to the right people. It's what basically what you want to do is just like in, in a dialogue, you want to say, hey, that's my opinion on that. Um, are you with me? With a clear call to action to say, okay, is it interesting for you? And of course, you shouldn't send it out to everyone who, who needs that. You should send it to the people that are interested in that because that way you can tailor your, um, yeah, you can tailor your mails, you can tailor your communications. We all used to do that on social media, but I think in email, it's still um, it's still lagging behind. We're still used to sending out to the whole community all the time. But if you have a way to create target audiences for emails, like you can on Facebook, um, I think it, it's yeah, it, it's going to be fireworks um, when you do so. <coughs> Speaking of fireworks, it brings you to the next slide um, because of the visual. Um, it's about fast response campaigning. Um, and I think it doesn't matter which tools you use, um, but, but a, a, something you, you do in communications is you use every opportunity to tell your message. Um, you want to use every cause, every, every situation to tell your opinion on that and to ask for, hey, are you with me or, <coughs> or not? To just get into this dialogue. 
use that as a, as a way to get into a dialogue. And the way you can do it is, for us as a tool, it's still with landing pages. So, <coughs> so <coughs> sorry. Landing pages is, it's not a website. Uh, landing pages are simple sites uh, in the web that, that are not on the website, but, but just for a specific cause. Um, with that way, you can target a specific audience. You can say, okay, um, I only want to uh, <coughs> target people who are <laughs> interested in this topic. And landing pages have the opportunity to focus on a single interaction. Like the email is done right. Um, it's not having a landing page or an information page with 20 different uh, information boxes. And here's more information. You can do this or that or this. It's just one interaction. It's asking one question. It's, that's my opinion. Are you with me? And if you use tools, and that's where it comes in, you can, you can enable your really fast response. So we see it with clients of us. Um, <coughs> where it took like <laughs> weeks before to create campaign pages or landing pages. Um, it just takes a day to really get into fast response when you can skip out the developers, skip out the designers, just have a campaign manager set it up in, in a few minutes, yeah? And that way you can, can really get into fast response campaigning. And actually, this is if I um, if I may, and maybe you want to drink some, some some water in the in the meantime. Uh, mm -hmm. I one of the things that uh, I thought it's it's really interesting about these landing pages is sometimes the, the the barrier of entry, let's say, also in the digital world is that people say, oh wow, you need a new website. And of course, a new a website is, is a lot of work, it's often expensive, mm -hmm. you know, it brings like many conversations about, you know, branding, etc. And that's just too much hassle. What you are proposing here, right, is, is, is forget about the website or, or, you know, your website is, is there for people who want more information when you need to put in front of your audience are those easily readable, simple pages. And in each page, there is a message. There is a opportunity to collect data with the right consent, and off you go. You don't have to have all these conversations about, you know, website design. You can even test as many landing pages as you uh, as you need and learn from that. No, I think this is one of the innovations that I that I can see from from your solution. Yeah, I think that's you're totally right. Um, I think landing pages don't replace the website. It's a, it's, it's a together because what you said, and that's what, what I really think is, a website is good for information. It's good for being kind of the hub of the campaign, right? To, to show your actions, to show, show information, but it's very static. You don't change a website very often because it's, it's a lot of work um, because you have to see it, all the connections and all the parts. Um, when we're coming to landing pages, it's just, it's kind of temporary offers in the web because the landing page is not built for being there for years. It's built for being there for weeks or days or whatever, right? Um, and that way you can, of course, fastly iterate. You can A-B test these this pages, but it's much more like, like not being there and okay, they are found, but it's, it's like the, you can say the post-click experience on Facebook. Um, if you 
If you click on an advertisement, you come to a landing page where you get it in more detail and you become active, can become active and can, can support the campaign. Because you're much more willing to support something, what you're interested in, this topic, um, via just the general campaign. And I think that's what uh, parties all over Europe um, recognizing right now is that um, that it's it's not about the members anymore. It's about it's about the voters. It's about the people. Um, people can vote for your party on this day uh, because they're interested in this topic, and vote for another party on the next day because on this region it's it's a different topic, and and that's where landing pages come in handy to yeah to create a statement for a specific topic. So so thank you, Sebastian. Yeah. Um, and I think that the next part is when it comes to digital tools is you should try to automate everything, um, automate your communications, automate your onboarding and all that stuff. And a way we, we do that is to, as I said, automate the onboarding, right? Um, because I think everyone's used to, hey, thank you for signing up and that's it. Um, I think what you should really do is to take more steps to get them introduced into your campaign. Um, because we all know the costs of getting someone on board, getting someone to give you your email address. Um, that's, a, that's also a, a bigger step and it creates momentum for that one. He, he said, yeah, okay, now I'm on board. And the worst thing you can do is to just say, okay, thank you, um, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Um, because I think it's, it's using this momentum to, to getting them deeper and deeper into this campaign. And that way you should, and not only send one mail, you should send uh, an onboarding uh, chain to, to, this, um, to this new supporter. Like on the first day to welcome him, uh, send out the motivation, telling ways to inform yourself. After three days, you can send him an introduction to a person who's gonna talk to him. Um, you can send him the bigger picture. What are we trying to do? Uh, you can also send him what he can do right now. After five days, you can send him a personal story. You can ask him some questions to get to know him. And that could go on and on, right? Uh, so I think with onboarding chains, um, you have a great way to yeah, to, to introduce someone into your movement. And I think the last part is, and, and we hear that with new power a lot, is empower your community. And I, I won't go into to details with this now because I think it's that's something very obvious right now, especially when, when someone's um, focusing on, on campaigning, right? You want to empower your people. And I think I said it before, when it comes to, to new power versus old power, it's, it's in the mixture. It's not only like saying, okay, we, hey, we ask you for an email address so you are empowered or you can, can do this. It's giving someone resources to become active themselves. And I think that's also uh, the thing where, where many things will change that um, organizations will more and more give their, 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 yeah, their, their how do you say that, um, give more and more responsibilities to the grassroots um, layer. But on the other side, as I said, it's, it's about the, the coming together. It's not only relying on this because then you, you got 
10 people and 10 different opinions, but it's also having, having them organized behind communications. And well, little thing from, from my side, that all these strategies, that, that's what we're focusing on when, when it comes to our uh, development, when it comes to Candler. So with Candler, we, we have a solution for digital movements um, where you have this audience base where you can create target audiences for your email. Um, we have it transparent and compliant. Um, everything's done in Europe. Everything's built in Europe, uh, fully GDPR comp compatible. Um, we got like these landing pages in it. We got the communication parts in it, like emails, like the uh, email automations. Um, and also the numbers prove us right here. Um, compared to the, the common newsletter tools out there, we got um, like 50% more opening rates, 50% more click rates uh, because of the way we, we want you to use emails. And also Candela incorporates engagement apps like having a way to create this digital backing for events, having a way to create votings, having a way to create um, commitment uh, uh, pages, like someone saying, yeah, I support you. Um, also like user-generated content pages and all that stuff. And, and I think when, when it comes to building a movement uh, made in Europe, it's, it's still the number one tool to go to here. Yeah. So actually that's, that's all from my side for now. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you, Christoph, for, for moving the conversation forward, because I think now we have achieved the main aim of the workshop, which is to handle, firstly, the, the strategies and the, the, the best practices, and then map this out with the, with the tools, with the digital tools. And I'm saying that because uh, and we are all, the three of us, we are in the business, and we know also how consultants we, we are. We usually um, uh, come with a predefined idea about what the, the tools need to be because we have used them, because we, we know they work, etc. But sometimes the, 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 the part that needs more work is, is the education about around these tools and around what it means to run a grassroots campaign or to run a digital organizing uh, campaign. And, and on, your, on your presentation, uh, Christoph, I, I found many interesting points. The, the, the first one, which shouldn't, and being in the business that you are, shouldn't be, uh, you know, shouldn't come as a surprise, which is it is important to own your data. And I couldn't agree more. The example of Trump is, is, is the, the most remarkable, but, but there are so many other uh, examples that you can you can think of. Uh, Facebook, you know, after investing all your money on on ads, you still don't know who those people are. You don't know who saw your 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 ad. You don't know you don't know them. I mean, you can you can always get uh, the owning the data is super important, and also owning it in a way that uh, you are very transparent about. A, what data you collect. B, what happens with this data once it enters, you know, your world? Who is uh, accessing it? Are you sharing it with third parties? Are they even switching to another uh, jurisdiction outside the EU? In the end, how you, you know, and this is how you become GDPR compliant. I, I don't like to, or when I say GDPR compliant, it's, it's, 
there is no uh, uh, there is no test of you know okay you pass you have become certified GDPR. It's it's about how you explain to the users in a very transparent <laughs> way what's happening with the data and, and whether this data actually lives the uh, to a jurisdiction where uh, the EU doesn't consider that uh, the same data rules uh, apply. You know, and in your case, uh, your solution. Uh, allows organizations to own that data. You also said all this data is based in, in Europe. The whole uh, infrastructure is built in Europe. What would you say to organizations that come and say, I have these data privacy concerns. I'm not sure if I want to really do digital organizing because that will give me headaches in the, you know, down the line. What is your usual response also for the people who are following us today? Yeah, I think, um, and we got that a lot over, over the summer, is um, that many campaigns get, get more and more sensitive for that. Because when it comes to campaigning tools, and, and you saw this, this picture of the map, right, um, where, where it's full and, and when coming to Europe, it's very empty, um, is that, that there are many tools out there and you see them in use that are, are, are based in the US. And, the, the thing is, if you want to be com completely safe on that, if you want to, um, as you said, um, rely on, on, on everything <laughs> that, that, that's still in Europe, um, then people come to us and, and, and often switch to our system and, and are very happy with that. And to say that I, myself and, and Lucas, uh, we sat in the same room, we, we had the situation before, like, like a few times, um, where from from one day to another, uh, tools we are used for our clients weren't um, possible to use anymore. And we need to find ways around that. And, and I think it's very, it's very good if you can just check, check one thing off your list. And, and that's what we, yeah, what we want to provide as well. Perfect. Uh, Lucas, do you want, I, I saw you nodding, do you want to jump in in this super important, to me is, is, is probably the most important question of modern campaigns. Uh, so yeah. I, I would like to, to hear your take. Yeah, um, um, I'm happy to do so. Uh, I think Christo uh, Christoph uh, uh, mentioned uh, the technical part uh, to be sure where your data is collected and that your GDPR safe and, and Cambridge provides that. I want to answer uh, your question from a, a campaign and strategic perspective. I think. Uh, you need you, uh, your goal shouldn't be to collect as many contacts and data as you can, but to stay in touch with those people who want to stay in touch with you. So you won't get a, a, a data protection uh, issue with with people who want to engage with you, who want to stay in touch with you. So the the main goal should be to focus on uh, yeah on, on on people who are like minded. And to, as you mentioned before, Sebastian, um, uh, uh, to, to be fully transparent what they're about to do when they sign up. So that is, I think that that's crucial for, for campaigns to, to make clear <laughs> when you sign up, you, you're joining this campaign conversation uh, and you, you can be fully aware what we are going to do with your data. And I think uh, transparency is, is the one thing and and the focus on yeah on people who want to to join the conversation is the is another yeah 
totally. Uh, must have, not, not the most, I mean, it's a boring conversation to be had, but it's probably uh, no. it can some more, 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 more troubles down the line. And I think uh, also the, the fact that we, that uh, the, uh, what I see with campaigns, the moment, uh, if the issue is already complicated, the moment you put all your data outside of the EU, it becomes even more complicated because then you need to do more things to quality, you know, more quality assessments. You need to, uh, you know, you, it's it's simply, uh, it's it's a lot more hassle uh, in the end. So I think it's the, the, probably one of the most important conversations to to uh, to be had. And it's all also great to have technology being built in, in Europe. We are talking about here in Brussels about the digital champions and the and the transition. But how how can we do that if we don't have our own champions? If we rely in the U.S. As for everything, and so I I don't um, uh, um, I'm very happy that we have this type of platforms emerging. I would like to talk to ask Christopher about the the trends that you see in the industry. So you've mentioned a few. Uh, technology trends. So, so you you've mentioned definitely the use of uh, these uh, voter relationship management systems. You've mentioned the, the use of landing page, the, the automatic automation. What, in your view, it's happening out there that we should be paying attention to? Mm -hmm. um, so I think is. When it comes to technologies, it's like the, the channel channel that I really like. Um, it's about um, come, coming every year. So the technology is very fast paced, right? Uh, who remembers Clubhouse, for example? Um, the, the, that was the thing of a year ago, I guess. And I think coming to, to technology is there, there will always come new things. Like the, the, the most important part is still sticking to your strategy, like also like Lucas said, um, it's, it's even if you have a common strategy to, to use your data, you can use all the technology and tools you want to. And if you have like this first party data pool or this, the, the, the database where you can aggregate your data into them and use it for your communications, you can use all the tools you, you want. But um, what I see is uh, on the technical part is it's surely going to be much more like getting insights, like there are, there are a few tools out there now that, that create, gives you insights on a geographic scale to, to see um, where are your voters or, or to, to map them to your data, actually. I think that's, that's what the, the next big steps. Um, and, and, and yeah, um, that's, that's basically the, the trend I, I, really, I really see. For all the other things, it's, it's just for me, yeah, get, getting more, more, um, yeah, get, getting more sense of what campaigning is about, and I think that's a trend more than a strategic than a technological trend um, for political parties to, to, to keep the, let's say, movement flywheel right. Everyone's that's a, a thing with social media as well. Everyone's thinking from election to election and starting on the the flywheel again. And or the, the kids carousel, and and has has a lot of work to push it. Uh, instead of when you look at NGOs, when you look at organizations, they they are doing pretty well because they have this constant this constant campaigning, this constant 
activation of the community. And I think that's where we're right on the shift that, that more and more parties notice that it's, it's important to keep, keep communicating and keep uh, campaigning. Yeah? Thank you. Thank you, Christoph. Uh, Lucas, uh, you have worked uh, with in the private and also in the public sector with campaigns. I mean, if I ask you, what do you think is now in the minds of some of them, but will actually uh, become real next year? What type of you know strategies or even technologies do you see that will be shaping next year? Which remember, in the next year we have. French election, we have a Hungarian uh, ele election, probably Poland if they do a snap election, and we have many others. We have the midterms. So, I mean, what's going to happen? What's going to be the story for these elections? Um, um, I fully agree with what Christoph said. And in addition, I want to, to add that I think, like, like every time, uh, Europe is some years uh, behind the US. So I think what we can expect uh, in the next years is that uh, uh, more and more parties and organizations are focusing on owned data and owned networks. Like uh, when you followed the US election campaigns, uh, we saw a lot of uh, both, both parties focusing on building their own social networks within their community, building their own platforms. So I think that that I would expect, um, um, especially when when we follow what uh, uh, what the developments are around Meta and and uh, Facebook uh, uh, and Metaverse, <laughs> um, uh, where political advertisement gets uh, more restricted uh, year by year. I think uh, we, on the one hand side, own data and own networks. On the other side, we we come back to the roots. I think back to groups, back to. Uh, Facebook groups, back to uh, messengers, um, like we see in the pandemic as well. Um, I think we we will have this rise on Telegram and, and Facebook Messenger um, uh, also in the next years. And I think one big change for, for the upcoming elections is that uh, after two years of pandemic, the people are more used to virtual events, virtual um, happenings within a campaign. So maybe that's a, a upside for the European election. Um, people are more used to digital uh, campaign rallies, so uh, uh, maybe that uh, closed the gaps between the different regions in Europe. Yeah, I totally, I totally see the uh, the, uh, um, the the use of the instant messaging. I think it's it's already exploding, but it's 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 not mainstream. I would mm. say uh, so. Anti-vaxxers to tie back to the first question. I think they. This is how you explain their their success. Uh, they are operating, via, you know, underneath the under the radar. Uh, so I expect campaigns to be using that as well. We also, and to reference back to our own playbook, we we also see uh, a greater interest in programmatic advertising. Something that in the in the private sector is, you know, it's like brands like Coca Cola. They do this. Yeah. Like, uh, every day, but I think it is starting to to to, to come to the to the political space and especially to to buy uh, very quickly and be very uh, agile in putting display uh, or buying display ads to show your video, trying to buy as many non-skippable seconds as you can uh, get, so that people have no option but to actually 
watch uh, your your content. And of course, of course, to do that, you need these what is called this demand side and buying side platforms that are so often used in the private sector. I have started to have conversations, and we had a conversation about that in the playbook too. And I'm hoping that the pro-European campaigns that, uh, or at least where the Europe is going to be at a crossroads, I think it's going to be in France next year. So let's hope the anyone who thinks the EU is is a good idea is something worth keeping, not perfect, but definitely something worth uh, keeping better than the alternative. And we can look at the UK to see how this alternative is, you know, is working, whether it is working or not. There, there was a, a poll not uh, not long ago saying most of the British, they think they are not uh, better off after after Brexit, that the, the, there has been fuel shortage, there has been uh, other type of shortage in addition to to everything else, to the drop in trade, etc. Um, so I'm hoping all this and our aim and focus from now until uh, the elections in France is to try to put all these best practices and technology on the table so that the right campaigns can use them and beat the the bad guys, as I as I call them, of course, in a uh, you know in a figuratively uh, figuratively way. So thank you. I think our time is up. I think it was great. Uh, one note for those who have followed us and have missed someone, uh, we couldn't get uh, Nadia Olechku with us, but we will bring her soon. She had something very urgent, personal that she needed to attend and uh, she couldn't make it in the end, but we will make sure that we top this chat with her experience uh, about how they have applied all this into a specific context, which is Poland and the fight for women's rights. So very sorry that she couldn't be with us today. She really tried, so she's excused. And thank you again, and hope to see you in the next campaign workshop. Thanks. Thank you.